Wow. Isn't he good? God is good. Well, of course, we're aware of the fact that today we commemorate 9-11 in our nation. Um, and we're aware of the fact that there are still individuals that are dealing with the aftermath of that horrific attack that happened on September 11, 2001. And if you remember, I do, when there was a service held and Dr. Billy Graham was one of those that shared in the service. He took us to Psalm 46 where it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And uh, tonight, Anthony quoted out of Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and is safe. And uh, we're, we're aware of the fact that tragedies do happen, but there is a God who says, I'm here for shelter. I'm here for strength. I'm here to be your comfort. Amen? And tonight I'm going to be focusing on, again, our theme in the book of Ruth is put your life together, but the sub uh, title for me of this theme tonight is My Redeemer Lives. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? My Redeemer, He Lives. Amen. Now, there's a man named Joshua Allen Harris, and he makes art out of trash bags and places them all over New York City. He will station them over air vents to give them a sense of life. Harris has made a sea serpent, giraffe, robot, and bears. I want you to take a look with me at his creativity and some of the things that he has done. Hey, I'm Stephen Silas from New York Magazine. We're here with Joshua Allen Harris, street artist whose uh, inflatable sculpture created a buzz, uh, both locally and international. So, describe your work. Well, uh, I guess it's inflatable street art, sort of a sculpture that, that works on the street, that mm -hmm. inflates uh, with s subway air, mm. uh, exhaust air. What are the materials that you use to create one of these sculptures? Basically just shopping bags, trash bags. You know, part of the magic of it is that it, it looks like trash on the street and then it becomes animated and comes to life. So I wanted to kind of stay within that material. What was the first piece that you placed on the street? I tried the bear. I figured with four paws, it would give me enough wind to kind of get him to stand up. And uh, it worked. And, it, and he looked really cool. And he had a lot of nice animation to him with his life and his death and his inflation and his deflation. Somebody happened to photograph it one night when uh, I didn't even know about it. And that's when it all started. It, it got put up on a website. And from there, it just spread you know, around the world really quickly. And it was really interesting to me. It was something that I wasn't even into or doing anymore, but the, the response I got to it was just amazing. And it got me interested again. And, and uh, because of that, I started making as much as I could as fast as I could. Uh, this is a prototype that I'm working on. It's quite animated compared to some of the other pieces that you have. That's the part that's exciting. You know, there's, there's nothing that... I can do about that. You know, the city decides how it's going to animate the sculpture. Yeah. How do you know if the wind pressure is strong enough to hold one of your pieces up? Uh, a lot has to do with longevity. A lot of the subway trains 
move so quick and they're short, so I don't get enough air uh, to kind of keep the sculpture alive. What's, this, what's the largest size that you ever did from this, Gray? Uh, I did that Loch Ness Monster in uh, maybe 25 feet. And today, how large will this piece be? I think this one's about 15 feet, so uh, cool. show us how it's we'll done. see how it happens. Everybody loves it. Yeah. You know, everybody's interested in it or how it works. You know, it's the magical. It's, mm. it's what art is about. Whatever you may think of the value of this kind of art, it can be kind of a parable for those who think that they are too bad to be redeemed. We all have met people who thought that they were too bad for God to love them and use his work in their lives. Maybe you think of yourself as trash, but God is able to turn trash into treasure. He, he's able to do it because you know what he sees in you is a masterpiece. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Isn't that awesome? My Redeemer lives. And it doesn't matter what's in my past or history or what I've experienced in my life. God can redeem and He can restore. With that understanding, let's look at Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I, bought, and I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one, notice, but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. 
Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought, notice, all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. As you read through this final chapter of the book of Ruth, you will find out that the key theme of this chapter is redemption. Redemption. The words redeem, buy, and purchase are used at least 15 times in this chapter. No redemption comes without paying a price. Let me say that again. No redemption comes without paying a price. From our point of view, salvation is free to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But from God's point of view, redemption is very costly. I love what the Spirit-Filled Life Bible encourages. Understand and praise God that He has not left us without a Redeemer. Mm. Now, I want us to look at the characteristics of the Redeemer. That's what I'm going to focus on tonight. There are three characteristics connected to the Redeemer. First, the Redeemer had to be a near kinsman or close relative. We've noted this throughout our going through the book of Ruth. The Redeemer had to be a near kinsman or close relative. That's what's alluded to in the law. In Luke, in Leviticus rather, 25 verse 25. Leviticus 25, 25. The law said, if one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. We know within the context of what we just read in Ruth chapter 4, that Naomi and Elimelech had sold their property prior to leaving the land of Bethlehem to go to Moab in the time of famine. So their property, they had mortgaged, mortgaged it off. They had sold it. Now, the close relative is going to purchase back that property. The Redeemer, again, had to be a near kinsman. He could not simply be a distant relative or even a concerned friend. Think about it. For Jesus Christ to redeem us, He had to become our kinsman. Wow, this is good. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In in as much then as the children have what? Partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise what? Shared in the same. I want you to notice those two words are bold 
for a reason. That through death, he might, Jesus might, destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's pointing out that our Lord became a man because only in his humanity could he become our near kinsman and pay the price to redeem us. In order to conquer the devil who had the power of death, it was necessary for him to die and be raised to life. Thus, breaking the yoke of bondage forever and delivering us from death, debt, and fear. But notice again, it says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken. The word therefore partaken, it has the, the, the idea of to share fully in. To share fully in. But the word that is used there for shared, it's a different Greek word. It's metecho. It means to share in something, but not fully. Ooh, this is going to get good right now. Notice what it begins with. In as much then as the children have partaken of what? Flesh and blood. Did you know that he... He, he became what theologians call, he became the incarnate son of God. In other words, he put on flesh, human flesh. Jesus did. He partook of our humanity by becoming human. He partook by becoming the word who became flesh, according to John 1.14. But he didn't partake fully because he didn't have a natural father. Why not? Because that would have messed up his blood. Woo! He was born of a virgin. The Bible says in the book of Acts that all of us are one. We are all of us one nation through one blood. But Jesus was born of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not carry in his body the blood that was contaminated when Adam and Eve sinned. You're going, well, you're just like, okay, let this sink in. You see, this is why he would, he would say what he did. Before he went to the cross, watch this, John fourteen thirty. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. That's the devil. Watch, and he has what? In me. Yeah. I like the way the, the passion puts it. Look at the passion translate. I won't speak with you much longer, for the ruler of this dark world is coming, but he has no Power over me. Why? For he has nothing to use against me. You see, Jesus' blood was not contaminated. And while he lived among mankind, he was tempted. 
in every point just like we are. Yet, the writer of Hebrews says, without sin. So not only was he born, and then the word became flesh, and, and in him flowed uncontaminated blood, but also through his obedience, submission, through yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, though he was tempted like you and I, he was so committed to the mission that he refused to give in to temptation. Why? So that when he came on to be hung on that cross, his blood would still be uncontaminated, undefiled, and his blood would be able to declare that our sins were paid for fully, by a lamb without blemish and without defect. Woo. And he said, here comes the prince of the world, but he has nothing on me. Watch this. Only a free person can free people. <laughs> Only a free person can free people. When the devil came, the devil had nothing to hang on Jesus. There was nothing in him. There was nothing in Jesus that he could handle. Jesus had no handles that the devil could grab. There was nothing on Jesus that the devil could use. Woo! Aren't you glad that our Redeemer lives? He became like us, yet... He was fully God. Mm, fully man and fully God. Mm-hmm. Now, the second thing about the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer had to be able to redeem. The kinsman Redeemer had to be able to redeem. In other words, the kinsman needed to have enough money to redeem the person or property and to care for it once it was his. Ruth could not redeem Naomi. And Naomi could not redeem Ruth. The Redeemer was required to have freedom as well as finances. A person in bondage could not redeem another person in bondage. Boaz was a wealthy man and therefore was able to be the Redeemer. How about Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was what? Rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Aren't you grateful that our Redeemer Jesus Christ, the owner of all things, possessor of heaven and earth, He came and His precious blood that really is priceless, He shed it to the last drop so that we could be redeemed. He possessed 
priceless blood that he was willing to expend and spill out to the last drop so that you and I could be free, delivered, and not fear death, not fear debt, not fear the future, not fear bondage anymore. He did it. He did it. Someone pointed out redemption is a word implying helplessness. The picture of redemption is of one held captive by forces they cannot overcome or cannot be overcome. Only a third party can intervene to rescue. Redemption never comes by our own efforts. Spiritually, redemption cannot happen without a Redeemer. This word is precious because it reminds followers of Jesus that relationship with Him has been purchased at great cost. What was that cost? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty way of life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. Did you get that? Gold, silver, lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. I don't know if you recognize that this blood is priceless. And I don't know if you recognize how powerful the blood of Jesus is because it remained untainted, undefiled. The blood that Jesus shed, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that it speaks better things than that of Abel's. Abel, who was murdered by his brother Cain, his blood spoke vengeance. His blood cried out for justice. But Jesus' blood speaks better things because it speaks mercy. It speaks grace. It speaks redemption. It speaks forgiveness. It's the precious blood of Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus is able to redeem He had the goods necessary to redeem. Just like Boaz. Boaz was a wealthy man and in position to redeem. And then the third characteristic of a redeemer. The kinsman redeemer had to be willing to redeem. We read it there in Ruth chapter 4. Let's look again at verses 3 through 6. Then he said, Boaz, to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, 
lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So initially, this close relative was willing to redeem. But then Boaz pointed out, if you redeem the land, you also have to redeem the one that's connected to the land. Uh, the, there's a widow connected here. And when he heard that, he's like, no, I don't want it. Now, there's three reasons why that, that, are, that are suggested. One is that he might have not been financially secure to purchase everything that was necessary. Another is that he didn't want to mess up his own inheritance, as he mentioned there. Or thirdly, he was prejudiced because Ruth was a Moabitess. Whatever the reason, he decided not to redeem. But Boaz was willing to redeem. Now watch this. One was more concerned about preserving his own name. Watch this. Boaz was willing to perpetuate the name of another. One, in essence, was selfish. The other was selfless. Now, what about Jesus? Is he willing? The Bible reveals the Lord Jesus is willing to redeem. God is merciful, gracious, and kind. In fact, Peter tells us that he wills not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the heart of Jesus? Because sometimes we wonder, is he willing? We know and we hear that he's able, but is he willing? In Matthew's account, we read in his gospel what Jesus' heart is. In Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are what? Willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. If you ever wondered, is God willing to help me out of my condition? Just go here. Oh, you, do, you, you and I, we read that, oh, how nice, but we don't understand the fullness of, of what is being communicated here. Because if you knew the law, you were disobedient. If you reached out and you touched someone with leprosy. But Jesus showed his willingness by breaking that barrier and saying, look, I'm willing. Let me show you how willing I am. I'm going to touch you where you hurt. I'm going to touch you where you're defiled. I'm going to touch you where you're contaminated. Aren't you glad that we serve a Jesus who is willing to touch us and where we hurt, where we're struggling? He's willing to touch us where we're in pain. 
He's willing to get his hands dirty is what I'm saying to you tonight. He's willing. You may wonder, does God care? There's no doubt about it. He cares. But going back to these two relatives, one was not willing to redeem, the other was. And as I was looking at that, something just clicked. And it's a principle, a truth, that is confirmed in God's Word, and it is this. Those who live selfishly end up unnamed, forgotten. Those who live sacrificially have an enduring name. Don't miss that. Because when you read here in Ruth 4 of the closer relative than Boaz, his name is never mentioned. We don't even know who he was. But we know Boaz. And his name lives on. You know why? Because through his connection with Ruth, there's a connection with the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How about that? Look at Ruth 4, 6. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Notice again that the near kinsman tried to protect his name and inheritance. But we don't even know what his name was or what happened to his family. Boaz took the risk of love and obedience. And his name is written down in Scripture and held in honor. What happens when you and I live to promote and perpetuate the name of Above every name. Are we shortchanged? Are we forgotten? Do we, are we lost forever? No. The Bible says in 1 John 2.17, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But everyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, Look what happens in verses 9 and 10. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Did you notice whose name is not mentioned in these verses? Orpah, the other daughter-in-law. Who's remembered? The cleaver, not the lever. Hmm. 
Watch this. Revelation 21.14. I want you to see this. Revelation 21.14. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Who are these 12 apostles? These are apostles who laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. Their names forever will be etched in heaven. I want you to understand, when you live for God, when you honor Him, He will not forget you. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and live for the glory of His name instead of your own fame, your name will live on forever. Forever, God honors those that honor Him. As I bring this lesson to a close, let me share with you a story. There was a seven-year-old by the name of Tommy. He had been asking his parents for a dog, but they were not convinced that the family needed one. After Tommy's repeated pleas, His dad told him if he would help his mother with chores around the house, he could earn enough money to buy the dog. Tommy was more than eager to accept this challenge. He didn't mind working if it meant that he could get a dog. His parents took Tommy to a pet store in town to see what they had in in the line of dogs. Near the rear of the store was a cage containing a beautiful black and white puppy. For Tommy and the puppy, it was love at first sight. While Tommy was occupied visiting with the puppy that he was sure he would own, his dad was negotiating with the store owner regarding the price. Finally, it was agreed that $100 was a fair price. Now, Tommy's dad knew that his son's earnings plus his allowance wasn't up to that figure, so he wrote the owner a check for $90 with the provision that Tommy would be told that he had to come up with $10 if he wanted the puppy, which just happened to be the amount of money Tommy had gathered. Tommy eagerly counted out his $10, paid the owner, and then he waited with great eagerness, anticipation, For the store owner to open the cage, which he did, handing Tommy the puppy. Before the family had gotten back home, Tommy had already named his dog Spots. Spots. For a couple of years, whenever you saw Tommy, you saw Spots. One weekday morning, as was his custom, Tommy gave Spots a big hug before he left to catch the bus to school. With Tommy did not realize was that he had failed to latch the gate. It did not take too much of a wind to blow the gate open. Spots was out to explore the neighborhood. When Tommy got home from school, he immediately headed to the backyard to play with his much-loved friend Spots. But Spots was nowhere to be found. Tommy looked under every scrub and bush with no success. His mother joined the search, but to no avail. She called their neighbors and nearby friends to see if spots had been seen. None of them had. But one friend mentioned seeing an animal control truck in the area that day. Tommy's mother called, and sure enough, spots had been picked up and was being held at the dog pound. 
mother and son, left immediately to free Spots from his sad plight. When they arrived, they found that Spots had already been put in a small cage. Tommy asked the attendant if he could have his dog back. The attendant replied that he could, but he had to pay a $25 fine for Spots running loose. Tommy's mother reminded him that his carelessness had caused this problem, but that she would loan him the money, and he could once again, do some chores around the house to repay the loan. Tommy agreed and paid the fine, then anxiously awaited until Spots was brought out to him. Soon, Spots and Tommy were reunited. On the way back home, Tommy hugged Spots real tight and told him he loved him. Then he said, I bought you when you were a puppy. And now I have bought you out of the pound. Spots, you are my dog two times over. What is redemption? It's the act of buying back. Man is God's. By creation. But when sin entered the human race, that relationship was broken. When Christ died for our sins and we claimed His sacrifice, we were bought by His blood and born again into the kingdom of God. Thus, we are God's property two times over first by creation and later by regeneration through means of the redemption that Jesus made possible. My Redeemer lives. And I'm grateful tonight that I don't have to live bound by my past. And that I don't have to worry about my future. Because in the present, I stand with the knowledge I've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood that spoke out for me on the cross speaks out for me today against the accuser of the brethren, reminding him, I've been redeemed and my Redeemer lives. This is why we worship and we praise and we give Him glory. This is the foundation. This is the reason. When you have this foundation, it doesn't matter how's it going in your bank account. It doesn't matter what's transpiring around you. When you acknowledge, I'm redeemed, and I have a future, and I have a living hope because of redemption, And this redemption process culminates with what the Bible calls glorification. When this perishable body will be made imperishable. And I will live for eternity with my Redeemer. You have that knowledge? You can worship regardless. Amen?
Father, we thank You here tonight for Jesus. And we thank You, Jesus, our Redeemer, that You live. Thank You, Jesus, that You became like us in order to redeem us. As has been said, the Son of God became like the sons of men so that the sons of men could become sons of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you were and you are able to redeem. You're able and also you're willing to redeem. You can take what others would consider insignificant, not meaningful, and you can make something significant out of it. Just like we saw in this young man who practices what he's called street art trash bags and grocery bags something that others would consider as lacking value insignificant not worth much (laughs) but when placed in his hands it becomes a work of art it becomes Significant, it becomes meaningful. Where others see trash, he sees treasure. That's you, God. That's you, our Father. Where others see just ordinary, you see the potential for the extraordinary. And even though we may feel devalued either by choices of our own or by the results of what others have done to us, you see value. You say to yours, you're precious in my sight. You're highly esteemed You're highly valued in my sight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The blood is speaking tonight. Mercy. Grace. Forgiveness. Restoration. Reconciliation. Healing for the body. Healing for the mind. Healing for damaged emotions. There's healing being declared through the blood. For by His stripes we are healed. Oh, the blood of Jesus. 
Oh, the blood of Jesus. Before we transition, I want to make this altar open right now. You say, Pastor, I want his work of art to continue in my life. I want the masterpiece that he sees in me to come forth. I want that. I invite you to this altar. But you say, I don't feel worthy. The blood is speaking over you and declaring access granted. Access granted. (laughs) The Bible even says it. Therefore, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Access granted to you tonight. Just come before Him. He'll cleanse. He'll wash. And by His Spirit, He'll confirm His working in you right now. Just come and yield. Just come and surrender. The blood of Jesus washes. The blood cleanses. The blood restores. Our Redeemer lives. There can be areas in your life where you would say, Pastor, I'm broken here. I want you to know He can heal your brokenness. In fact, He can bring about wholeness in those areas of brokenness because your Redeemer lives. You may have lost something in your life and you feel like it's never going to be restored The Redeemer restores. Just come and call on Him right now. Yeah, just come. And as this worship song is sung, I just want to invite you, if you feel moved to, just come to this altar and let the blood of Jesus cleanse, wash, and bring renewal to you. Thank you, Lord.